This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Welcome to another episode of the HR in Review podcast. I'm your guest host today, Bill Bannum, and joining me on this episode is Giles O'Halloran, aka the HRGP. Giles is an experienced HR professional who works as a freelance consultant, coach, speaker, and writer. He started his HR career working for IBM, and his last role with IBM was as an HR business partner for the UK's largest strategic business unit. He has since worked in other senior HR roles across Europe, advised at board level, and worked internationally as a consultant. Giles is a columnist with a leading MOD-sponsored international career transition publication. Uh, He has written over 160 articles on employability and changing nature of work. And he's passionate about technology, the value of knowledge, networks, and the future of work. Giles has experience of working in multiple sectors and across the world, and he calls himself the HRGP, the HR General Practitioner, as he provides, as he says, a wide and variety, a, a wide and varied portfolio of consulting capabilities to his clients. Giles, you're a gentleman. I didn't mention that in, in, in the introduction, but you're also a gentleman, sir, and it's my pleasure to have you on the show today. As a gentleman, I should respond, the pleasure is all mine, sir. Thank you very much for inviting me to be here. Uh, yeah, Giles and I have been getting to know each other, listeners, over, over the last few months. He's a lovely chap. He's a lovely chap. And we're hoping to do a bunch of things together. So uh, uh, watch out for announcements around that. Um, Giles, beyond my reintroduction there, why don't you start by uh, telling our listeners a bit more about yourself? No worries. Well, thanks for the intro there. I think you've given quite a bit away without a doubt. And uh, just as a highlight, yes, I am a, a freelance HR consultant. And I focus on four T's, really, because I like my simple uh, framework. So firstly, I look at training and developing and coaching around uh, mentoring as well, HR professionals and their teams. I focus on talent, so working with HR and businesses to help them define, develop and, I suppose, deploy uh, talent frameworks. I also look at technology, that's the third T, so helping HR teams embrace and use digital practices. And that's not just helping identify things like HRMS, ATS, and HRISs, lots of acronyms there, but also how to apply digital HR as a practice. So things like social media use for recruiting and things like that. Uh, and the final T is transition. So going back to that MOD publication, um, I'm very passionate about helping individuals transition to new uh, career opportunities. So I also you know, do that on an individual basis with, uh, with people from very different backgrounds. But also uh, I train HR professionals to develop and deploy outplacement solutions as part of restructuring. So I think it's a, a real value add as a part of any restructuring operation. So that's a bit of an intro to me, Bill. Thank you. Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. Okay, so you're passionate about business partnering. What are your thoughts on this subject? Share it with our our listeners. Why is it such an important area of the world of work? No worries. Well, I mean, business partnering is definitely a passion of mine. I lead it uh, for the CIPD's enterprise uh, group. So uh, that's one of the areas I look after. So I'm the lead tutor for it. Uh, And the reason for it is because uh, I'm a strong believer that, first and foremost, I think it's been misinterpreted. Um, It's very much a set of capabilities and mindset. It's not the what, it's how we should do and deliver HR. So it's more a practice than anything else. And I think people have 
misunderstood in the past as being purely a job, and it can be defined as a role, but I think it has to be defined effectively in the context of the organisation, because I think too much has been sort of copy and paste over the last 25 years. I mean, it was first sort of came to light through Human Resource Champions, thanks to Dave Ulrich in 1997, the year I graduated, I might add, so that gives you an indication of my age. But I think that the issues are that um, it hasn't been used as effectively as it could. So I'm passionate about sort of helping people understand it and make it uh, I think more practical uh, and more relevant to the world we have around us because I think by definition myself um, I think HR business partnering as an HR practice helps the HR team or people team whatever you call yourselves it helps them define and align the HR service as well as the operating model alongside the organization as it evolves so it, it's helped the organization and also the HR team work together in partnership please the word from the now to next move, and that's what we need to look at. And I think, as well, the reason why I'm passionate about it is because it hasn't just still. It's very much an evolving practice. We see lots of different models and frameworks evolve. We've seen hybrid models come out of organisations like Deloitte, Mercer, and even KPMG. McKinsey wrote a really interesting paper a couple of years ago on what they call talent value leadership, which is the evolution of uh, the business partner model. And I, you know, I recommend you download and have a read of it if you can. And as my myself, when I was uh, leading uh, as chair for the uh, CI business partner conference i myself put together sort of three potential opportunities around the digital partner the resilience partner what i like to call the 3t partner uh, by that you know as an evolution as an evolving model the challenge for me was giles where is this this model going and i've looked at these three areas as just three examples potentially and the digital is very much potentially a, a move on what we have as the old three-legged stool model so hr systems replaces shared services a suite of apps for hr replaces the centers of excellence and the social HR replaces the business partner piece. So that was one element. That's why I think you know that could be where things are going from a digital HR perspective. Uh, but also I, I see it from a, a post-COVID environment. So I think that we can evolve the model as well into this resilience partner as well. So where we combine workforce planning, workplace continuity, workforce well-being as, as elements. Um, so that was the second one. And the third one I came up with was, was the 3T model, which talked about talent, technology and transition all together as a blend of that partnering approach. Um, so you know, how we look at defining talent and how it drives the organization forward, how we utilize and leverage technology effectively and combine it with people, so human talent and technology, and the transition piece, you know, help the organization change and move forward. So yeah, that's just case in point, the fact that I'm passionate about where it's going is evolving. I think it's a really fundamental practice, the way we do HR and will be going forward. And I don't think it's simply defined as a role. And that's probably why I'm a bit of a zealot when it comes to go, doing the HRBP or the business partnering thing. So I hope that gives you a bit of an indication of it. It absolutely does. Thank you, Giles. This edition of HR in Review is a special guest episode brought to you in partnership with our friends at the North American-based HR Chat podcast, a podcast focused on interviews with HR, talent and tech experts. Giles, you're a pretty upbeat, optimistic kind of a guy. Um, however, however, as part of my homework, uh, I came across an article that you shared on LinkedIn a couple of years back uh, called Why Don't Business Leaders Love, Appreciate or Like HR? Uh, maybe it's written tongue in cheek, knowing, knowing your personality a little bit. But in it, you write HR professionals and even senior HR leaders often feel unloved, unappreciated and misunderstood by their colleagues and leadership. They are not part of the strategic conversation. They, they don't feel listened to or that their advice is deemed credible. And they are only involved after the real decisions have been made. 
HR may have a seat at the table, but it's often a lonely existence because they are branded as the police or blockers or quasi-lawyers. This doesn't place HR as a strategic player or even as a partner. Oh, no. So, Giles, my question for you is how can HR leaders get themselves at the top table? And, and generally, how can HR pros get more love within the organization? Well, that's a, a very long question with lots of potential answers. answers but uh, you know, uh, definitely that piece I wrote uh, was geared towards, I think, challenging the mindset, feeding security, getting people to respond. It was a bit, as you rightly say, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek on, but also to highlight some of the genuine concerns that, that HR professionals have at a senior level. And if I fundamentally distill that question into one thing, it comes down to, to this thing called credibility. And that is HR's place and role within the organization. And I think sometimes we have a big issue with that ourselves. And, and this is why sometimes people believe, going back to business partnering, that they put business into the HR partnering piece because it sort of defines and, and qualifies their role. I think we need to be more confident and more about our competence as people professionals, but also about the role that we play within organisations because we are a key function. And it's not just to keep the organisation out of tribunal court, it's about actually how can we fundamentally look at the real strategic labour of our organisation, which is people. I mean, they provide the competitive advantage. So it was trying to get sort of HR and people professionals at a senior level to start to think about how do I play at that top level and how do I build that magic word called credibility? Because I have a strong belief, uh, and again, this is a simplification, but I think it's relevant, is that credibility is, is, a, is a construct of confidence and competence. And, and you know, Bill, you'll probably come across this yourself. There's, there's plenty of people that are very confident out there and lack competence, uh, but in the same light, there's a lot of people extremely competent and lack of confidence. Uh, and that is a real gap there because we're missing potential. I think if we can get the balance right between our competence and our confidence uh, working in that and building our credibility, we then build that traction we see leadership teams. But it also means that rather than just thinking about the people function of what we deliver around processes and people and practices, it's also about what we have to do is connect the dots between what we do and business outcomes. So I think this is where we have to measure what matters, put in analytics, start to think like a business professional, not just a people professional, uh, but also celebrate our success. One of the things we don't do as a profession, which I really bang on about and in my business partner uh, training, um, is around, you know, if you want to think like a business, you've got to build your brand, you've got to build your effectiveness. And, and by that, you've got to socialize what you do. So therefore, celebrate your success. If you've done some great work, celebrate it. Get people to write a, a blog about what you've done or even a case study or be your own ambassador and, and, and share their thoughts about what HR's done for the organization so that it's not just coming from you as almost like a, a people propaganda piece. But what we're doing is build that credibility through our partners in the organization where we've done some great work. And I think that helps make things happen. So I think that credibility piece is about sort of building upon our good work that we do, make sure it's socialized. I think it's about building the right interactions that might start at a transactional le level, but then become transformational because we start at the bottom by perhaps mopping up, then skilling up and then, to, you know, moving up the levels in terms of, of building capability. And Ulrich himself created the five levels that, that might help you sort of do that. But I think we also have to get out of that mindset that we're a customer agent and actually we're a consultant to the business. So how do we provide higher value work that we do? How do we socialize that and make them aware that what we're doing actually has an impact we can measure that impact through three key things which is either do we generate more revenue more profit do we avoid cost do we reduce costs so that, again we're connecting the dots between what we do to business outcomes because that will win our credibility 
it'll build a connection with the business, we'll become more trusted as a true business partner, and again, it builds our brand to be more effective and, and sustainable longer term within the organisational business. So I suppose those are my thoughts around that. If you enjoy the HR and Review podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. This helps others find us and grow our community of HR and related professionals. Fine thoughts indeed, Giles. Good work, sir. Good Thank work. You. I feel more educated already. Uh, okay, so listen, you, you've worked globally as a trainer and consultant. Maybe you can now share what some of the most common themes HR are concerned about right now. And I'm assuming a big part of that is uh, is planning for, for a recession and, and economic woes over the next four or five quarters. So uh, please include that within your answer. No worries. I think you know. I'm going to hit that one straight away. I think people don't know what's coming on the horizon. You know, we spent for the last sort of, I think, six to nine months in reality that a recession's coming. A recession's coming, and, and it hasn't quite hit yet because things uh, are happening otherwise. And I think this is very hard to predict. It also depends on the definition of what a recession is, because different organisations, different economies have that. Um, but what I am seeing around that, and I think you know, to prepare for it, it is look to your people and, and start to have an open dialogue, have that conversation, be that facilitator, that mediator between the different parts to say, look, this may be coming. What can we do? Because that's the bit that matters. Rather than looking at directives and hierarchies, which can create more problems, let's look at our organization being more a hierarchy and, and leveraging that capability so that we can protect work, jobs, opportunities as a result. Because we've learned a great deal through COVID. You know, it's not as if when COVID happened, when people went into lockdown and economies went into lockdown, it wasn't as if, you know, organizations didn't adapt to survive, to create sustainability. And they did different things. They implemented furlough. I mean, most HR professionals never heard of furlough until it came through COVID. So I think there's some really good lessons learned that we should take away from that and start to reapply to build resilience. And I think what we also do is have to connect the dots between what we do and things like business continuity so that we can make the workplace more effective and go through some of these, these types of things. So there's lots of work we can do around that with retraining, redeploying people, looking at the future aspects in terms of our workforce what does that look like actually look like um actually doing effective workforce planning uh, i think we can start you know if we should have started some time ago but organizations need to start doing that as a practice and, and i don't mean just put it on a report and put it on a table there has to be accountability responsibility for that as it's managed through the process so that's i think the thing around the um potential recession but the big thing that i have noted across every organization I work with in a global context and that is management capability um, the ability for managers to actually manage and i think this has been a shared theme across most organizations and i'm hoping that as this podcast goes out people are nodding there in the audience going yeah actually that's a common theme that we have but i think that we are actually as hr and people professionals perhaps 50 percent the problem let me highlight why it's because we have allowed all people to be promoted in organizations who are technically very capable but we've never tested their functional capability. Can they actually manage and lead people? Just because you're good at a really you know, a job and you're really good at doing it, doesn't mean you can lead others behind you to do that. So I think that's where an opportunity for us to, is to change the equation, going through some maybe darker times ahead. Let's look at helping foster people and, and capability. Let's help nurture those management capabilities so that we can manage people more effectively during more difficult times, whether it's recession, whether it's epidemics, et cetera, uh, whether it's pandemics. So I think that what we need to do, there's two little clues that I give away uh, through training and development that, that I deliver. And that is, 
before we allow people to be promoted, let's put, allow people to put their hands up and go, I'm interested in management roles. I'm interested in leadership roles. And let's have an honest discussion with them about what actually management means. It's not simply a pay rise. There are responsibilities and accountabilities that come with it. And that is, is very much around people. So I think we need to do that. We need to define more around our job definitions, job descriptions around managing people. I've seen so many job descriptions that have one line that just says, you're responsible for developing, coaching, and managing your people. And that's it. And the rest are all tasks. So, well, that's not what a manager does. So I think, again, we have to rethink that. And I think we need to assess people ready for management, see if they are. If they aren't, there's, there will be some people in the organization who will never manage. Well, let's have an honest conversation because their skills and capabilities can be used elsewhere. But those that are ready, let's look at how do we nurture those capabilities. And, and those who are almost ready or looking to go on a path, how can we develop them? Because what we can then do is start to build that capability from within. And that doesn't mean we then go and send them on a management course and wish them luck. We put them on management training. We train them in management. We get coaches and mentors with the organization. But also at the end of it, we as the people professionals work alongside those managers to look at the development going forward. Because I think that's going to be those, those different ideas, I think, coming together will help us alleviate that classic problem of managers don't manage. So those are my thoughts today, I think. If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. Giles, the next two questions I've got for you are uh, pretty pretty tricky ones, but they're, they're questions that we ask of all of our guests, okay? Uh, and the okay. next one goes as follows. Fire away. Fire away. Okay, here we are. Uh, if you could pass on one crucial lesson that you've learned in your career in one minute or less, oh no, uh, what would be your top tip for HR professionals? So I think my top tip, this, I actually find this an easy one as a question, to be honest. And the reason being is I think it comes down to one thing from my own experience, which is nurture your networks. Because networks have empowered, enabled, and energized my career to date. All my jobs to date have been resulting through the connections that I've built, uh, through the people that I work with. My current work is based on referrals and recommendations because of my network. My learning is based on a personal learning network, the people I connect with, share with and learn from. But also that network keeps my finger on the pulse of what's going the world around me, not just in the, the HR space, but also the business and the future workspace. So I think that's the key thing is nurture networks. And behind that, there's some key principles. And the biggest one I would suggest is Always connect, never collect. And by that, when you're building your network, it's not simply the number of people within your network. It's not the number of people in your LinkedIn network in particular or your number of followers on, on Twitter. It's how connected, how engaged you are. So it's about making time to share, to be active in your network, to talk to people, to reach out, to say thank you, all those kind of things. But also is on that connection piece is make the virtual connection physical if possible because when you meet people it's far more memorable and it may start in the screen but it may then start as over a cup of coffee but i think that would be my sort of uh, advice in under a minute nurture networks but always connect never collect okay i'd say it's just about a minute maybe a few seconds over but we'll forgive you because it was a good oh, answer. apologies sorry <laughs> Uh, the, the next answer, you can take up to two minutes if you'd like. Uh, what is the single biggest change you think will happen in HR and leadership over the next five to 10 years? Ah, um, that, that, oh, this is a hard one because going back to future work stuff, it, it, it's not just one thing, it's a million different things uh, to consider. And I think, you know, there's lots of uh, information going on about discussing how we relaunch or, or how we rebrand and uh, redefine leadership. Uh, whether it's moving to soft leadership stuff, 
It's how we look at the evolving picture around DNI or IND or what we call EDIB now, which is um, equality, diversity, inclusion and belonging. Uh, also, the impact of AI and, and technology itself. So there's lots of different themes there, which I, I you know cherry pick, but there's so much about that already. I'm going to pick something that, that connects them, that's related, that we've seen as a development through COVID, I think, but I think will continue over the next five to 10 years. And it'd be interesting to see how that evolves. And that is virtual workforce management. And I think this is where we need to look at how do we manage more virtual or remote workforces and how do we scale up managers as well as people to work within that framework uh, in a way that's human uh, that's not simply technology-led but also then helps sort of create that community of practitioners so that, that people can work together more effectively so i think we have to sort of look at what we learned from post-covid i think there's an opportunity to you know to leverage some of the people discussions sorry that go around things like the great resignation the great reshuffle depending where you are in the world um, because people are looking for new ways of working. Uh, and I think obviously with the challenges around hybrid working, the hybrid workforce going forward, virtual workforce management may be an opportunity for us or a capability for us to deliver, develop in order to deliver what's needed in a more connected and more virtual working world. But I do say that with one risk, and that is we have to be careful about uh, the negative side, which is we have to be careful we don't simply create two-tier workforces where those who can work virtually versus those that can't. And, and what does that mean? I think we have to be careful about equity in that respect, what that means. But also, because uh, obviously it will differ depending on uh, on organisation and context, but also I think we have to consider digital well-being as well by, you know, when do people switch off? How do they stay connected? How do we alleviate issues like FOMO, fear of missing out, et cetera, with, with staying connected on various systems? So I think definitely work, virtual workforce manages the way forward, but it's considering other elements alongside that, about which is balancing both the positive and negative, as I've just mentioned there. So hopefully that is your two minutes. It is, because you ran through that like a pro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I did manage to breathe at some point, but there you go. Thank you. But you issued a challenge, and I have to live up to it. Uh, so listeners we didn't edit out all the gaps that was genuinely how Giles managed to present that answer just then fantastic uh, okay uh, just finally for today Giles how can our listeners learn more about and connect with you so quite simply you know I'm accessible as they say uh, via LinkedIn so feel free to look at me on LinkedIn I have a Twitter feed as well so you can please feel free to have a look at that uh, LinkedIn is probably best the reason being is I stay connected that way because there's lots of stuff going on there and there's only so much time that, that people have in terms of uh, investing in social media, what have you. So I choose Twitter and LinkedIn because they're the most active areas where I am and it's where I can invest my time. So please feel free to reach out. I'm a strong believer that anything in HR, we're, we're not just professionals, but we're a community and I'm always willing to, to help and share as a result. Wonderful. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Giles, you superstar, you gentleman, you expert. Thank you very much for your time on this episode of the HR in Review pod. Thank you very much, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure and you've been an absolute star as always. And thank you very much for inviting me to be here. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.